Welcome, everyone. And for uh, those of us who are here for the first time, a special welcome to you. Be sure to stay behind uh, for lunch, which is entirely free for you and uh, only happens once a month. And this is a a really good time for you to get to know us uh, and to get to know the church as well. Uh, My name is Josh. Uh, For those of you who are new to EEC, I'm the pastor here. And uh, this morning, we continue our monthly sermon series looking at into what? Prayer. Prayer. Yes, I heard someone said it, but we're all too shy. I think we need to practice that a little bit. We're a very small church. It's okay to yell out answers here. Yes, prayer. And at the beginning of this series, we looked at a story found in um, the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Do you guys remember this? It's a story told by Jesus about the difference between the prayer of a Pharisee, who's a Pharisee. A Pharisee is considered in society to be a pious religious leader. And the prayer of a tax collector, who was often considered a sinner, not just a sinner, but a sinner beyond saving, was a tax collector. And we concluded that, let's read it together. Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. So while the Pharisees' prayer was all about religious self-talk, religious self-talk, boasting out loud to himself about how good he is, the prayer of the tax collector was one that was honest. It was honest. He prayed simply, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because he recognizes that is who he is and he needs God's mercy. His prayer is honest because he just comes to the Lord the way he is, just the way he is. No pretending, no flattering words to make himself look good. And so we can also be honest before God with our plea for forgiveness and mercy. Prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. Then last month, we studied and meditated on the first line, just the first line of Psalm 22. And from there, we learned how, let's read this together. Prayer is not, come on together. Prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. A place to be present. We learned that Psalm 22 can contains these prophetic references to the suffering and death of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus was on the cross in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was recorded crying out this first line of the psalm. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To remind us that This is not a performance that Jesus is putting out. Instead, the perfect Son of God is in fact carrying the sins of the world, taking our sins and having them nailed with Him on the cross. It is in that moment of agony and suffering that He still recognizes the presence of His Father in heaven. I mean, yes, He was on the cross so that we don't have to. Praise God for that. 
But more importantly, Jesus was on the cross to fulfill his father's will. His prayer on the cross revealed his total determination to submit to God the Father until the very end. No longer was he called to perform any miracles or teach his disciples anything. He just needed to be present in the moment, in his suffering on the cross, and let the Father's salvation plan be completed. And so he did that. And so prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. Now here's the rest of the quote uh, that I've quoted from, uh, helping us to remember these aspects of prayer. Uh, They are quotes from a book written by two of my uh, professors at Talbot, uh, and the book is called Where Prayer Becomes Real. So we just read the first two lines. We'll go straight to the third line. It reads, prayer is not a place to be right. It is a place to be known. And prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It is a place to receive worth and offer yourself in truth. And just to prove to myself that they, you know, the writers of this book are actual real people, real people who have flaws, real people who are sinners, I visited them in L.A. And uh, sometimes you need to do that, right? In the age of Zoom calls, in the age of AI, in the age of deep fake video. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. I mean, they're, they're real people. This proves it, I guess. <laughs> but I really had a good time chatting with them in person. I was telling them, yeah, this could be fake too, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> After all, I was a media designer. I could have easily photoshopped this. <laughs> but I, you know, uh, joking aside, I was telling them about EEC. I was, I was sharing our history with them and our connection with theirs. Who knows? Maybe their next book will be about us. <laughs> anyway, today we're going to think about the third line of their quote, which is this. Prayer is not a place to be right. It is a place to be known. It is a place to be known. Now, if you think that sounds familiar, I hope you're not alone. (laughs) Because if you've been coming back week after week, we have been talking about this a lot, to be known. Who can recite to help us out here uh, our new mission statement? It's a much shorter statement. Who wants to take a crack at it? (laughs) Okay, maybe next time. We'll read this together, shall we? Follow Jesus, be truly loved, be fully known. Follow Jesus, be truly loved, be fully known. Last month, we have been reading from the Gospels to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus who is known by God. And today is no different. We're going to study from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. But to give us the full context of this passage, we're going to read all the way until verse 15. And so let's read it together, shall we? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We acknowledge your presence with us. And this morning, we ask that your spirit enlighten our hearts, illuminate our hearts to see and understand your word. And most importantly, help us to believe the truth that you have through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So three Sundays ago, I gave us a context of where this passage is in. It's, it's part of uh, what we call the Sermon of the Mount. So here's a quick summary. In Matthew chapter 5 to 7, uh, record a sermon of Jesus that was spoken to a very large crowd uh, and a very large crowd of Jewish, pe- Jewish people. Some were his disciples and some might have just simply been curious about his teachings or his healing powers. Today's passage is the portion of Jesus' sermon where he teaches about, specifically about, prayer. And similar to the parables we studied in the past, Jesus once again mentions two types of people. Did you notice? Two types of people. Here, the first, they're called hypocrites. And then the second are called the Gentiles. So let's take a look at who are the hypocrites? Who are the hypocrites? I think we all understand the word hypocrite, so I don't need to spell out the definition of the word hypocrite. But let's take a look at what the Bible says about hypocrites or what Jesus says specifically about hypocrites. Uh, Just to answer that, it's easy. We just need to look no further than what's before the text and what's after the text. So from Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, we read that. I don't have it on the screen, but if you want to refer to your Bibles... Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, we read that a hypocrite is someone who practices their righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It is someone who practices righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Jesus went on to say that hypocrites are those who let others know that what they've done, uh, especially when they've done something good or charitable, such as giving to the poor, And then secondly, in Matthew chapter 6, again, in verse 15, we read that hypocrites are those who disfigure their face, which is equivalent to the Cantonese saying, la mai fai min, or la mai gao min, to show others that they are not eating food for religious reasons. Again, these are people who want others to know how pious, or in Cantonese, how keen sing they are. And thirdly, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, we read that hypocrites are those who judge others with a higher standards than they do judge themselves. And so, in summary, hypocrites, 
Who are they? Well, they're described here as highly religious people who seem to be good on the outside, but are not on the inside. In other words, these are people who have a shiny surface, but a rotten core. So today's passage says, and when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites. These people are experts in showing a shiny surface to cover a rotten core, so don't pray like them. They pray in a showy manner, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, in order to receive others' praise. Jesus says then, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Notice that this, these people, they will, they will receive a reward. Jesus says they will. For being a hypocrite. Can you believe that? Because if you seek others' praise, you will. You will receive others' praise. Because you will work, work hard at it. So what's missing here? What's missing? Well, what's missing is, is what's really important, isn't it? It's the reward from God and not from men. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we need to be careful here. Sometimes this verse is quoted to reject the idea of praying together or in public. But what Jesus is really saying is that God the Father sees. God the Father looks at the heart, not the outside. It wouldn't matter if you prayed standing up, sitting down, or kneeling on broken glass. It wouldn't matter if you prayed by yourself with a couple of friends or in public. What matters isn't what's happening on the outside, but whether the prayer was directed to God and offered in a manner of humility. And so Jesus teaches us to pray this way so that we can receive the reward that actually matters. It is not the reward from other men. It is the reward from God. And so first, don't pray like the hypocrites, but pray with a humble heart so we can receive the reward from God and not from men. That's point number one. The well, second type of people, what are they called again? The Gentiles. Jesus also says, do not pray like the Gentiles. Let's see what that means. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they, that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. After mentioning how the hypocrites pray, Jesus brings his listeners' attention to these group of people called the Gentiles. They're described as praying a certain way where they heap up empty words. Well, why do they do that? Why do Gentiles pray like that? Well, it's because they think it is this way that they will be heard by their gods. Okay, here's an example uh, from... Oh, well, before the example... Here's a misunderstanding that, that we could le be led into as well, or misinterpretation of this verse. Keep in mind that Jesus himself repeats prayer. This is not about don't repeat prayers. 
So we look at Matthew, uh, a later chapter in 26, uh, when Jesus was about to be uh, betrayed, he prayed in the garden many times the same words. It's recorded here. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And so what Jesus is saying here is that while the hypocrites pray to impress other people, the Gentiles are, are featured here to remind us to not impress, try to impress God. We don't need to impress God with our prayers. So for example, we should not pray as if this is some sort of a spell or chant. You know, if we say it enough times, then something will happen. Then the gods will listen and my wishes will come true. Here's an example in the Bible, Acts 19. Um, when the Apostle Paul converted a number of people in this city called Ephesus, um, it triggered a riot. So people, people got afraid because a lot of people are now leaving the temple and leaving their old beliefs. And during the riot, this is how they prayed. It says, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours, can you imagine that? Shouting out the same chant, the same prayer, hoping that their God, Artemis, would listen. Well, but the truth is their prayers will never be answered no matter how many times or how many hours they chant. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So first, the message is clear. Don't pray like the hypocrites, but pray with a humble heart so that we can receive the reward from God and not from men. And second, don't pray like the, like the Gentiles, as if we are praying to a false god who as Psalm 135 describes, have mouths but do not speak, have eyes but do not see, and have ears but do not hear. And again, Jesus says, do not pray like the hypocrites, do not pray like the Gentiles. So how are we supposed to pray? <laughs> how are we supposed to pray in secret? Okay. Well, from verse 9 onwards, Jesus teaches the crowd, including his disciples, how to pray. Okay, but today we're not going to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're not. Which is surprising for some, maybe. But we will be looking at that in the subsequent months to come. Today we will just focus on, in my opinion, actually, the more important precondition or prerequisite for prayer to be acceptable to God. Now, we already learned, right, in, 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 the, in, in past sermons about being humble and genuine in our prayers uh, when this series began. And we also already learned that we don't need to perform in our prayers. We just present ourselves as we are. So what I would like us to think about, learn from this passage today, is this. Prayer well, this here. Prayer is a place to be known. It is God the Father who is in secret. Thank you, Ryan. 
and who sees us in secret, he, he is the one who listens and answers our prayer. For your father knows, in verse 8, what you need before you ask. So prayer is a place to be known. Now think with me for a moment. Who is our father? Who is this father? Very good. He is the creator who, yes, 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 he made the universe, but the psalmist tells us he also formed by inner parts who knitted me together in my mother's womb. He's also present, always present, even after we have fallen into sin, even when we despise him and we reject him, he is there. For even the darkness is not dark to him. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with God. He is always there. What else? Number three, he is the father who through his perfect son, Jesus Christ, carried our sin and shame. Right? We just went through that in the Lord's, uh, before the Lord's table. Jesus bore the punishment of sin so that we don't have to. And then he is also the father who cares for us still. Through his Holy Spirit, he is sanctifying us through and through. Helping believers every step of the way, transforming us to be more like Jesus. And then he's also the father who glorified his son and will one day glorify everyone who has faith in Jesus. So who is the Father? He has created us. He's always present. He loves us and saves us. He renews us and he restores us. That's who the Father is. Well, I want to share, um, I feel quite privileged that, you know, over just the past two weeks, I've had the chance to participate in some of your small groups, uh, have some really good in-depth conversations with some of you. And something struck me. I, I, I really praise God that we are a church where we are all in all sorts of different stages in life, aren't we? I mean, we looked around just now, you know, and I don't know if you notice or, and appreciate that. I mean, physically, yes, we're all from different eras, but spiritually as well. And I think that's, that's such a great thing to be in a church of such diversity. And what I've come to more and more appreciate is, is that there really isn't such a thing as a good or bad life stage. And for those of us who believe there perhaps are better or worse life, uh, life stages, um, think, think with me for a minute. Uh, perhaps we tend to think either in these two ways. This may or may not describe you fully, but, but hang, hang with me. So one way we can think about is, or we tend to think about if we think that life stages are sometimes better or worse, is that my life is better in the past. My life is better in the past. It's not as good now. So we compare now with the past. And I wish life now could rewind and go back you know, to where I was. You know, maybe you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I wish my skin could go back. I wish my hair could grow back. You know, like that sort of stuff. 
I feel like I, I'm starting to be like that myself. But on the other side, uh, you know, some of us who thinks, again, that there are good life stages and bad life stages, my life has always been terrible. It's never been good. I can't think of a good time in the past. And so we tend to think of the future and wish life could be better in the future. You know, I mean, I have a place to live, but what if I have a bigger house? I mean, I have children, but what if I have cleverer, smarter children? You know, stuff like that. In any case, what I realize is that when we think like this, or when I think like this, my emotional well-being, my self-worth, my self-validation even, all of these things that we, you know, in our society now, hangs our identity on so much, depends on everything else but who God made us to be now. Isn't that right? We're discontent of where God has placed us now. Well, let's think for a moment. Let's think for a moment for ourselves in our silence. Who has God made you to be now? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. Describe it to yourself. You know, for me, maybe I would start by describing myself as a Chinese man, almost in my 40s, you know, feeling called by God, no doubt, to step into a brand new vocation, which I'm still going to school. I live in Hong Kong, married with a wife and two daughters, etc. What's your story? How would you describe yourself now? And my next question to myself and also to, to, as a challenge for you is, how would I pray if I were to try and find my identity in my past self? How, here's the question, how would I pray if I were trying to find my identity in my past self, my past self? Well, for me, as the way I've described myself, perhaps I would like to pray for more me time. There's something that was brought up in, among the men this, this week. More me time, remembering the time when I was single and could do pretty much anything I desired without having to wait on others or make any sort of compromises. That's perhaps how I would pray if I just think about my past in definition of my identity. Second question is, how would I pray if I were trying to find my identity in my future self? Well, I would likely pray for better sermons and more effective ministry planning something that was brought up this morning. <laughs> well, after all, I, you know, I want what I do to count for something, right? I mean, we, don't we? Who wishes for their efforts and endeavors to fail in the future? So if I, if I hang my identity on my future self, that's probably what I'd be praying a lot about. Now, are these unreasonable and ungodly requests? asking more so time of solitude so I can stay sane, or asking to be better at what I do as a pastor. On the surface, they seem okay, don't they? They seem okay. It seems all right to be asking for these things in prayer. But the way I'm challenged by Jesus' words from today's passage is this. It's to really think about my true heart condition, 
my true heart condition behind all these requests? This is the question. Am I secure in my identity as a follower of Jesus? Now. I should have added now at the end. Am I secure in my identity as a follower of Jesus now? In other words, when I pray, do I believe and am fully aware that God, whom I just described as creator, always present, my redeemer, always providing and caring for my need to be sanctified and restore, do I believe that it is he who listens? It is he who answers my prayer. Well, in fact, Jesus tells me and tells you today from Scripture that he already knows what I was going to ask even before I uttered a single word. And if that's the case, prayer isn't so much a place where I try to get my request right or worry about my request getting wrong. Well, that's at least not the attitude I should have when praying. But rather, prayer becomes a place where I offer myself to be known. To be known by God and receive, to be received by the one who knows me personally and deeply. Let me say that again. Prayer is a place where we offer ourselves to be known and received by the one who knows us. Prayer is a place to be known. Let's again think about Jesus. Before he was betrayed, he goes to the garden with his disciples to pray on the night before his crucifixion. And he says this, he tells them that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's what Jesus said and asks his disciples to keep watch with him. Jesus then falls on his face and prays this. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. This moment of Jesus shows how prayer can be a place of deep vulnerability and surrender. And as we offer ourselves to God and trust in his plans for our lives, we offer ourselves and trust in his plans for our lives. This confidence we can have in our prayer is grounded in the fact that the God to whom we pray knows everything about us already. He knows our past. He holds our presence and he knows our future. When we rest in this truth, brothers and sisters, that the loving and all-knowing God is the one who determined our past and will ultimately lead, lead us to a perfect future with him. Oh God. Then we know that our presence is where it needs to be. It is where it needs to be so that we can be drawn closer to him, perhaps. It is where it needs to be, perhaps so that we can have our idols, things that we love and worship that are not God, to be confronted and be torn down.
It is where it needs to be so that we can perhaps taste and see for ourselves that God is indeed good. Is your life where it needs to be? It's a trick question. It is where it needs to be. But do you believe that? Do you trust the God who has placed you to be at where it needs to be? And do we pray knowing that God already knows our past, present, and future, and he's with us at this moment where it needs to be? And so prayer is a place to be known. So this morning, let's just take a few minutes. Let's practice that together. In your seats, in your silence, in your secret. There's no pretending. There's no shame. God already knows you. God already knows all of us. But do you want to be present with him this morning or this afternoon? In your silence, present. Just tell God in your heart, present and offer yourself to God. Jesus invites us, the Bible invites us to address him in your heart as your father. God, our father. I present myself to you. Let's remember and remind ourselves for a moment that he already knows your past, present, and future. In other words, God knows how messed up you were. God knows how messed up you are now. And God already knows how messed up you will be. But the truth of God from Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does not need your lip service does not need your eloquent words, nor does he need your outward piety. Can you simply be with your Lord in this moment? Can you simply be with your Lord? If so, praise God and be thankful. However, if your mind starts wandering to things from your past, future, or even present, don't reject or try to control it. Don't reject or try to control the wandering thoughts in your mind. 
present and share them with the Lord as they are. Lord, I can't stop thinking about yesterday. Lord, I can't stop thinking about tomorrow. Present and share them with the Lord. He sees them and knows every detail of you better than you do. And in our presence before the Lord, we can also ask Him to show you what you truly treasure in your heart. Do not fear the truth as it becomes clear to you. As it becomes clear to you that there are other things, other idols in your heart that you treasure more than God. Don't be ashamed. Remember, God already knows. Perhaps in this moment you don't, you feel like you don't have control when you're in God's presence. You feel like you feel uncomfortable because you're losing control. Or perhaps you feel that prayer is, is unproductive, it's not productive. And so your mind turns to something else. Well, you know what? It's okay. Talk to God about these things. He is present with you. And He desires for you to be with Him in this moment. Let us pray together. Father, look at these desires. Look at these desires in my flesh. I want to have life on my own terms, in my own ways, for my own ends. I am tempted to use you to fix all of this and to get the life I want. Oh God, I present myself to you. And God, above all, I want you. I want to be faithful to you. Whatever you have for me, whatever you lead me. Oh God, but as, as I pray these words, my heart condemns me. My heart condemns me as a liar because I know parts of my heart do not want you. Part of my heart just do not want you. Part of my heart do not want to present myself to you, but instead want to stew in my worry and seek control for myself, for my own life, or even the lives of others. But Lord, here I am, messed up and broken. I present myself to you again in the deepest truth of my heart to be with you in this. For it is written in 1 John chapter 3, 
that for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. I thank you, God. I thank you. And so it is in this confidence that we can pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.